Hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic and anorexic. Hi. Okay, so my experience, strength, and hope. So I will be celebrating 11 years of abstinence on March 25th in a couple of weeks, God willing. Thank you. Um, And my um, path in OA actually started through another 12-step program. Um almost 17 years ago and I found for me that food was actually my first addiction because it was the easiest thing I could get my hands on and um, there is um, as a kid I was um, my parents didn't allow a lot of sugar in the house like if sugar was in the top five ingredients I wasn't allowed to have the food so um, at a very early age when we went out to dinner my brother and I would steal sugar packets from the table and I would put them um, in the phone jack in my room I unscrewed the phone and I would stockpile (laughs) sugar packets and then one year my, uh, my mom decided to get us phones for Christmas so they went to have them installed and she she told us that she felt like there was a drug bust in the house because there was all of these sugar packets stuffed in the wall so for me um, food was clearly a drug um, and I, I I suffer from every aspect of this disease I'm a compulsive overeater I'm a bulimic I'm an anorexic I'm a laxative abuser I'm a diet pill abuser I'm an over exerciser and um, I basically did whatever I had to do. I went to any length, basically, to control my body. And um, I specifically remember the first time I purged. So the, 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 the sugar abuse started first. Um, and then I specifically remember um, purging because I was a teenager and then got really concerned about my vanity and the consequences of overeating. So um, I remember the, the very first time that I purged and, um, and it wasn't a binge that I purged. It was like I ate something I didn't want to be eating and so I, I purged. And the purging then escalated to... Um, a friend of mine down the street we thought it was like fun to do together so it became an activity so we would literally come home from school and we would go to one of our houses like whoever she usually had the better food because I had no food in the house with sugar in the top five ingredients so we would go to her house and we would binge and then we would go to different bathrooms and we would purge and I remember even at that time like she would be like done purging and she would see me still purging she was like oh my god stop like I I couldn't even stop like the the um the really violent purging of like hurting myself and um somebody told me when I came into program um, that that was a bulimic it's like bulimia is like the most violent part of this disease and um and it's true it's like it was just violence turned towards myself and um from from the bulimia then i started taking the diet pill so then i would starve all day come home binge purge and then i got into over exercising and there was a particular 90s video out at the time that had like three different workouts on it and i would do all three of them all night long so it was like it became a a cycle of starve all day on diet pills oh and then I think I was taking something to speed up my metabolism and then I would come home and binge and purge and then I would do all three videos on this exercise tape until I would go to bed and then I would get up and I would do the same thing over again so 
very early on, um, my eating disorder became an activity. It was like what I did for fun. And um, it continued until I found cocaine. <laughs> then when I found cocaine, I thought this is the answer to my eating disorder. If I can just do <laughs> cocaine for the rest of my life and never eat and never be hungry, like this is perfect. And so again, the insanity of like step one that our lives, like me even thinking that that was the solution is insane. So that continued for several years. Um, I started using cocaine when I was like a sophomore in high school um, in secret. So like the shame of, of the um, drug abuse was also um, set on very early on because I lived in a very yuppie like East Coast neighborhood out of D.C. And um, the, the whole idea of being a cocaine addict and having a severe eating disorder was extremely shameful. But the reality is I was more ashamed of my eating disorder than telling people I was doing cocaine in the bathroom. <laughs> so that's how deep this disease goes for me in terms of my, um, my shame. Um, so I continued abusing drugs until I was about um, 20 and I ended up in rehab. And I just remember as soon as the drugs got taken away, then the eating disorder was like, insanity again in rehab and I was like limited to, I was limiting myself to eating basically jello and um and coffee <laughs> jello and coffee so that continued for a while and I anyone working more than one program my experience is I just had to do one thing at a time like yes I was not my, my cocaine use escalated to actually smoke and crack downtown with the 18th Street gang, but I had to basically work these programs in the order that it was killing me. So smoking crack in downtown L.A. was worse to me than throwing up, so that had to get handled first. But for years, I had what I, I believe I developed through my sobriety over working that program for many years was an arrogance that... I know, I, I got this. Like, I know how this program works. I can do this. I'm going to get abstinent, basically, through osmosis by doing step work in this program. And maybe I should go to an OA meeting. Um, but I did not come in. I was not willing to come into this program until I had, like, seven years in another program. Um, and when I got here, um, it was out of the suggestion of my... AA sponsor because she didn't have experience and she said just go get a sponsor just go to a meeting and get a sponsor because I was really hung up on like finding the perfect sponsor and the reality is like I just needed to get my ass in these rooms and like work work this program thank you um, and work this program so um, I did and I got here and I picked a sponsor and it didn't work out and that was fine, you know. Um, I would come to meetings and I would leave and binge and purge. Um, I didn't get it right away. And I tried to start working the steps. Um, and I, like I said, I found a sponsor, but it wasn't the right fit. I probably had her for a couple of months. Um, and then I found another sponsor who, up until just recently, has been my sponsor. And the reason I chose her as my sponsor is, and I'm not joking, she was sharing about not being able to stop eating frozen yogurt. And, like, at the time, that's what I identified with. It had nothing to do with her spiritual or emotional recovery. I just wanted to stop eating frozen yogurt every day of my life. Because by the time I got here, that's what it was down to. Frozen yogurt, steamed vegetables, and protein bars. Like, that was it. So I, um, 
and like secrecy around it. Like I would have my husband like go to the other frozen yogurt place to get me more frozen yogurt because I was embarrassed because I was there like earlier in the day. So stop eating frozen yogurt was like really attractive to me. So I asked this woman to be my sponsor and she said, absolutely, like I can work the steps with you. And when I worked with her to help um, identify like what my abstinence would be, my suggestion was I want to stop throwing up, stop starving, stop over-exercising, stop taking diet pills, and stop using laxatives. And her um, strong suggestion was like, yeah, we're not going to do all of that. We're going to pick one thing that's your bottom line, um, which was, um, for me, at the end of the day, I'm a hardcore bulimic. Like, that was like my, that was kind of the thing that took over. And... Um, so we made my abstinence no throwing up. Until this day, my abstinence is no throwing up. As a result of working the steps, um, around the fourth step, I gave up the diet pills, I gave up the laxatives, I gave up the over-exercising, and it was an organic process. I never said, I'm going to put these things on my abstinence list so I stop doing them. Like, that never worked for me, for me to just say, like it didn't work before, it wasn't gonna work now. So, um, so, so I started working the steps and the other kind of suggestion that she get, suggestion slash agreement, um, and this is still a tool I use when I sponsor people, is she, was, she asked me, what are you willing to do to bring to the relationship? Because a sponsor-sponsor relationship is a relationship. So I had to say, I'm willing to be honest, I'm willing to do this, I'm willing to do that. And um, part of her end of the deal was, before you purge, you need to get someone on the phone. You can't leave a message, you have to talk to somebody. So if you get an, a fellow on the phone or somebody on the phone and you talk to them and you tell them what's going on and that you wanna purge and you hang up the phone and you still have to go purge, then God has not removed the obsession. So it was instilled in me very early on that it wasn't up to me to make my behavior stop. And, um, and I agreed. So I, I agreed that entering this relationship, that would be part of my side of the deal. And, um, and I, I kept it. So there were occasions where I would eat seven peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and I had to sit with it. And anybody that has experience as a bulimic, that's really fucking uncomfortable. Like forget a feeling, seven peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is really uncomfortable. Um, and the other side of it was I had to be honest about what I was doing with the food. So, so if I did eat seven peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and then take laxatives, for instance, because I couldn't throw it up, I had to call her and say, just letting you know, I took eight, seven peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and I took five laxatives. And she would call me back and say, thanks for sharing. And there was no, there was no conversation about why did you eat the seven peanuts? Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, we're compulsive overeaters. We don't like to be uncomfortable, so that's what we do. And still till this day when I have sponsees tell me, like, I overate this meal and I, it, like, it doesn't matter why. Like, it's, it's what we do, you know? So there was no overanalyzing of, like, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because it even says in our literature, like, self-knowledge avails us nothing. It doesn't matter. I had to get comfortable with being honest and not purging. So, um, so I did. And, and by doing the fourth step was, like, another layer of, like, getting honest. And for me, my experience, like, I feel like a lot of people are afraid of the fourth step. For me, it's not. The fourth step wasn't... Um, as scary as like the ninth step, for instance. But, um, 
But there were things that I was ashamed of in my in my fourth step, and by giving them away was like another. Um, it was a way of getting honest, but I also remember my experience was really. Like, I felt like they say in here, like, we become one of many. I felt like one of many because I was either much better than everybody else. And by admitting my faults to somebody else, I became human. Like, I just became another human being who has done the best I can in life imperfectly. And um, so that was like, that was like a big deal for me because it kind of like brought me down to like being right sized. and then also making my amends was like another level of humility because when you go to somebody and you can admit you're wrong and I didn't have to, and I was also told don't over explain why you did what you did. Like when you make amends, you make amends and you acknowledge your character defect and then that's it. You leave it. So um, there were girls that I beat up in high school. I was a bully that I had to call and basically say, I'm really sorry I physically harmed you. I'm sorry I smashed the windows of your car. I'm sorry I fucked up your house and like whatever else I did to them. But I was suffering from really low self-esteem and doing blah, 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 blah. And I had to like leave it. And you know what? It was uncomfortable. Like it was really fucking uncomfortable for me to have to admit I harmed somebody else. It was because of my character defects and hear what they had to say. And there was one girl that said, yeah, you really ruined my high school experience. Like, people look back on high school and have good memories. I have horrible memories because of you. And you know what? Like, it, that's, that's what happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I can't change it. And again, it was like a humbling experience for me to take responsibility for my actions and the repercussions. Um, so my, my experience of working the steps was um, worked for anybody that's struggling. It worked. Um, I no longer, thank you, I no longer um, purge. I no longer starve. I no longer take laxatives. I no longer overexercise. I no longer abuse diet pills. Um, and like I said, my abstinence is still no throwing up. Like it, it just, as a result of this program, I think what happened is, um, I gained self-esteem, right? So all the things that made me feel horrible, horrible about myself, recovery has just been a path of like gaining self-esteem, of feeling better about myself. And as I have felt better about myself, I'm less likely to abuse myself. Um, and what I realized for me is the, whatever addiction it is, it's just me harming myself, whether it's I mean, and look, I'm in two programs. I visited a third. I could probably qualify for four or five, quite honestly. So it's like being a sober, abstinent, like debt-free person, there's not so many vices anymore. And the reality is, like, there's times I overeat. Like, there are times when I want to comfort myself emotionally, so I eat food, extra food. And you know what, it's better than smoking crack. And it's better than like whatever else it could be. Like at the end of the day, a cupcake is not going to kill me. It may make me uncomfortable. Um, but I've become willing with this program to not be so black and white. And that's what it had to be for me. I couldn't, um, I couldn't be so hard. I, my disease is about being rigid and harsh and know this and only this many calories and you must work. So for me, it was about becoming more gentle with myself. Um, and so 
when, even when I sponsor and people, sponsees call me and say, I did this and I ate too much popcorn. I think I should put popcorn on my abstinence list. It's like, I'm not, that's not how I was sponsored, so I don't sponsor that way. Um, and that's just my experience, is that just by, by saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing this now, it's going to go away. Um, and so it, my, my path to recovery, like I said, has been about like gaining self-esteem and loving myself and not harming myself or doing things that harm myself. So um, today, at almost 11 years abstinent, um, my program is not what it looked like in the beginning. So I am a full-time working mother of a three-year-old child, which doesn't leave a lot of room for like meditation and meetings and sponsoring and all of that kind of stuff. I do the best I can. Um, but it's, I do not have the luxury of self-care that I had when I first came in here. So as a result, um, I'm uncomfortable a lot of times. And, um, and there's not a lot of room for my feelings. Like I need to, it's almost like I have, to, I wish I, I, I'm saying this, but I don't do it. It's like I have to schedule time to feel my feelings because I've got to either take care of somebody else or have it together or go to work or whatever it may be. Um, but just, re, just very, 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 very recently, I have found a way of meditating that works for me. And it's not sitting still in the morning and reading the first three steps and asking God's will for me. It's just not. Um, I, I feel like for a long time in my recovery, I feel like that's what it should look like. Um, and that doesn't work for me. So I have found ways of um, meditation that do work. And um, recently I've gotten really into one practice and I, I, I also simultaneously have, have had people say to me, you look really thin. What are you doing? And I'm not doing anything, but there's, I believe a correlation between my in more intense meditation practice and letting go of weight. And, um, the one thing that like comes up for me, like when I, when I, I not that I, I kind of don't even want to figure it out because when I figure it out, I'm then in my head and trying to figure out the magic of this program. But I just, again, doing this practice, I have become um, less willing to hurt myself. Like I just, I feel stronger, like in my as a person and in um, asking for what I want. There's a lot of that in my work situation um, where I used to let people like walk all over me. Um, I'm more willing to like stand up for myself and ask for my needs to be met without fear of like losing my job. Um, and there's also, um, when I, when I do feel uncomfortable, I'm not reaching for the extra food, even though I'm still absent to take the edge off. So I feel like my body is stronger and I've like let go of a lot of the, um, just a lot of the, the stuff that I feel I need to be protected because I, I, I feel like I'm really in my body and I'm really comfortable. Um, so I'm not currently working on a step, but I, I am working to maintain my spiritual connection with a higher power. Um, I still sponsor, so there's still a connection to program. I make outreach calls. There are a handful of people that wouldn't even fill one hand that I am, I completely trust to tell what's going on in my life. Um, and that's the other thing I know I need to stay abstinent, is there needs to be at least a couple of people that I trust that I can be completely honest with um, and that can be honest with me. 
and, um, and where I don't feel judged. Because if, if I feel like I'm going to be judged, I'm just not going to go there. And I, I have found that through these rooms. I have found fellows that um, are not judgmental, that have experienced what I am going through, um, and that I can be completely honest with. So I'm almost at 9.15, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own, not of those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself, um, and we are being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, And we'll stop at 9.35. Thank you for your share. Thank you. What was the significant voice you heard that made you adhere to this program after you've been in it for a while and really deal with it What is the voice that I heard? The significant voice that you heard which changed the road you were on to adhere to this program. So what was the significant voice I've heard to make me continue on this path, basically. My life is not supposed to look like this. So the, the overwhelming thought that I kept hearing was, I don't know how I got here. My life is not supposed to look like this. I can't continue my life like this. I don't know what this path leads, but I can't go on like I'm going on. And that was the... That was the resounding feeling, thought, voice that I heard to make me continue on a 12-step path. Sure. Thank you, Commissioner. What's the thing you're doing with step three? What's your concept of the higher power and how do you exercise it? So what is my experience with step three? What's my concept of a higher power and how do I exercise it? Access it. Access it. Okay. Um... So my experience with step three was, again, similar to what I just said. It was like, my life can't look, my life cannot continue like this. And um, I had no problem admitting that my life was unmanageable, that I couldn't manage food. Um, and I was really, where, really well aware that I needed help at that point. Um, and that was also one of the most humbling experiences that I had with step three, because I'm really independent. And I thought, if I can stop smoking crack, for God's sakes, I can deal with food. Like, that was my mentality. And again, it was like the first, it wasn't the first, it was another level of humility that I had to get to, to say, I can't, God can, and I'm going to turn, I'm going, I'm going to turn this over to a higher power because I have completely fucked my life up. Um, I also, in step three, my sponsor had me write what my higher power is. Like, I had to write it out because essentially my experience and what she shared with me and what I have sponsees do is I'm not going to turn my life over to something that I don't know what it is. I need to have some concept of my higher power to be willing to turn my life over to it. So um, my higher power always wants what's best for me. My higher power always has my back. My higher power... um, is always there when I need it. If I can't access it, it's because I've gone away, but my higher power is always there. Um, And those are, or I may not be willing 
I mean, I've had an experience recently where it's like I am engaging in something that feels good that I know is not right, but it feels good, and I don't want to stop. And I know that if I pray for God to like help me out with this, it'll go away. But then I won't have the like sensation, the buzz anymore. So I'm really well aware that my higher power is there when I need help. <laughs> um, and how do I access my higher power? Um, through meditation, through my meditation that works for me recently. Um, and, and usually that means getting quiet. Like I have to get quiet, even though my meditation practice is about movement. It makes me get quiet and go inward. Um, and also other people. Like those few people on the one hand, like I said, that I can trust, um, that's also how I access my higher power is hearing it through other people. And I'm also big on like... God is everywhere. Like it may not be a person, but if I can be, if I can be in the present, which means not in the food and obsessing about the future or the past. If I'm in the present, it may not be a person, but it may be a thing. It might be that will reveal to me or give me some sort of serenity around whatever I'm I'm seeking God's help with. So, you. you're welcome. Thank you so much. Would you be willing to share the would I be willing to share the meditation that I practice? Running and yoga. <laughs> and, and the reality, and it's not complex. And again, what I had to realize what worked for me. And sitting still doesn't work for me. And the reality is that um, it wasn't until recently that I looked at them as meditation and not exercise. And... Um, through my yoga practice, I only only recently, because I had been feeling discomfort, um, was I willing to like go deeper? So I started doing more research about it. And um, as I started to do more research about it, it the spiritual practice like um, became linked. And I always knew that I wasn't like a sit still and meditate kind of person. And I felt bad about that for years. And I felt like I was doing it wrong. So I just didn't do it. Um, but as I have continued to do research about deepening my yoga practice and even um, um, running for me, it's about doing a motion over and over and over again that gets me out of my head. So it's like a... Um, for me, it just takes me out of my head and gets me into my body. And anywhere where I can get out of my head and into my body becomes meditative for me. And there's, um, they each do something different. When I, when I run, it's like I clear my head. Like I get like a clearance of, um, of whatever my mind is doing. Um, and then for me with, with yoga, it's about an inward turn. So I can um, focus and I get a, a sense of peace. So there's a, there's a different result from each one, um, but it doesn't involve getting on my knees and praying, and it doesn't involve reading 12 steps, um, but it does require motion for me and awareness. So that's what works for me. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, what do you do, or how do you, um, how do you address the, the nasty uh, conversation that come up in your head and how do you deal with the sort of negative thinking or any negative thinking that happens? Do you have any experience in that? Sure. So how do I deal with the negative thinking or thoughts or conversations in my head? Um, 
really simple, and someone told, told me this, is when it starts, the tape starts, I just say, God, please remove all negative thoughts, and please remove all negative thoughts that do not serve me. And it's a mantra. I just, it's, a, it's like, and it clicks. It's like I start having it, and then I just say, God, it's like a, I don't, again, I don't get on my knees, but it's a conversation that I have. Like, just make it, I can't make it stop. I've tried. So it's just a simple conversation with God to please make it stop. And it's not and it's important also for the thoughts that don't serve me as much as the negative thoughts. So um, I heard you say the word uncomfortable. <laughs> what do you do these days when you're feeling uncomfortable? So what do I do when I'm feeling uncomfortable? Um I think that, um, and I had to learn this through program, is that this program isn't about being comfortable all the time. It's about being willing to be uncomfortable. So sometimes when I'm uncomfortable, there's nothing to do. I'm just uncomfortable. And I, need, I needed to get willing to sit through being uncomfortable. And that was a big lesson for me when I was around four years abstinent. There was... Um, my two best, no, my, my best friend moved out of the city. My grandmother died. My aunt died all in like a period of like a month. Like it was like a crazy grief time. And I remember being, um, I went back east to where my family was because my, or I'm sorry, it was my grandfather. I had gone to visit my grandfather who was like on his deathbed one day. And the next day went to go visit my aunt who was at home with hospice care dying of, of cancer. And I went back to the hotel, and in the middle of it, I was sharing a hotel room with my brother, and I went in the bathroom and was sobbing like I have never sobbed before. And I just remember sitting in the bathroom, and I was like talking to myself, and I remember literally saying to myself, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And it was in that, I feel like I'm going to cry, but it was in that moment that I heard this voice, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. Like, you're just grieving and you're just uncomfortable and um, that has been a really powerful lesson for me is that there's sometimes nothing to do but ride out feeling uncomfortable <laughs> and um, and it passes like the the uncomfortable feelings pass like um, and I was saying recently it's like I, I've had uncomfortable feelings and somebody just said to me she's like yeah you're normal it'll pass but there's nothing to do about it, you know? I mean, like I said, I could, I could maybe pray and get some relief or whatever, but, yeah, I mean, besides talking to somebody or, you know, just being honest about what's going on with me, it's more about just being willing to sit through being uncomfortable. Yeah. Sure. Do I have any trigger foods that I abstain from? Um, no, but there are certain times when I know eating sugar is not a good idea. <laughs> I'm really clear when I'm using it as a, when I'm using it and when I'm enjoying a meal with friends or family or whatever. Um, there were times when, um, for instance, there was a time like last summer. I have a young son and he wanted to go eat ice cream and 
I was frustrated that I couldn't just go eat ice cream with my son on a summer day. But I was really clear that I was, I, because I, I would use it like a drug. Um, and then the other, just last weekend at 11.30 in the morning, he said, I want ice cream. And I said, okay, let's go. <laughs> and, I, and it was fine, you know. And if I wasn't in a good place spiritually, that would have been a really big problem. But... Um, my, um, like I said, my abstinence is not about like eliminating foods, um, but having the awareness because I come from a restrictive background. So um, it's not that I have certain foods on my abstinence list, but I know I have enough self-awareness to know that it's a good idea. There are certain times it's a good idea and there are certain times that there are not. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So um, bulimia being a really violent act, you're curious if I had a lot of anger tied into to doing it. Absolutely. When I stopped purging, um, I remember specifically an experience, um, and it was a normal everyday experience. There was something happened with my car insurance. Like I thought I had insurance, but I wasn't covered, and nothing happened. It's not like I was in an accident or something like that. But I found out that like I thought I had insurance and I didn't. And I had a tantrum like a two-year-old child, banging the pillows, screaming on my bed, like I lost it. And I believe because I didn't turn the anger in towards myself by by purging, that I, I didn't know how, I had no idea of how to deal with the feeling of anger. I wasn't, I didn't learn skills about how to deal with anger. So the way it came out was like a child being angry because they say it in here too. It's like we stop emotionally developing at some point because we start using food. So the way I, I processed anger at the beginning of my abstinence was like a two-year-old child. I would have a tantrum and I would scream and I would cry. And that kind of expression of anger happened on more than one occasion. Like it happened multiple times. Whereas now I will, I, I can experience anger without having a tantrum. And usually it it helps alleviate it when I can go physically exert myself, you know, to like get the energy out. But absolutely, anger was, by being a bulimic, anger was a feeling I never learned how to process, and I've had to learn how to process in these rooms. Hi. Good question. So as a mother, how do I stay present and come from a place of love um, when I'm overwhelmed? And I'm overwhelmed a lot. (laughs) Um, God, and this is like why I'm so uncomfortable these days. So I'm overwhelmed a lot because um, there was this, I was raised with a mother that always had it together and everything was fine and everything was fine and really my father was like having affairs for 20 years and that we were like having financial problems. So my role model of a mother, and I love my mother, was like keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. And my experience of being a mother and wanting to um, 
be an example for my child of how to process feelings um, is I've had to become comfortable crying in front of my son. And um, what and so and I have another friend who's in this program who is also a mother and it's like what what is um, what's acceptable like what level of emotion is acceptable because I don't want to lose my shit in front of my son like a crazy person but I've had to become comfortable with crying in front of my son which has happened several times two weekends ago I um, something happened and we were at a birthday party and my three-year-old son fell in the duck pond and leading up to this I had I was overwhelmed I had just gotten back from a business trip um, came home and felt like had all the feelings honestly of feeling trapped <laughs> as a mother because I um, I can't get up and go to meetings when I want. I can't go to the beach when I want. I can't go on a hike when I want. There's a lot of things I can't do when I want anymore. And I was feeling trapped, resentful, shameful that I feel this way. Um, so then this incident happened and we got in the car and I just started crying. And my son said to me, Mama, are you crying? And I said, yeah, I'm crying. And um, I want to be an example that you can have feelings and that life isn't always fine. And um, I made outreach calls about the way I was feeling. I've been honest about the way I was feeling. There's a woman that I've reached out to that is 26 years in program who has, who was in the exact same situation that I've been, who've had the exact same feelings that I feel. And she just suggested, like, you need to do a fourth step on this. Like, I didn't even put the two together that I was actually resentful, to be honest. I was just so in my feelings of, like, overwhelmed. I feel trapped. I feel ashamed that the idea that I even had a resentment even felt shameful because I wanted this. This is the life that I wanted. And this is how I feel. Why aren't I? And it's because of program on top of it. So, so I had to also get really comfortable with like, I'm not going to be in fucking gratitude all the time, you know? I, and, and it kind of goes back to like being uncomfortable. Like I have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And even though I have this like big, beautiful life that we get as a result of program, sometimes it doesn't it's not great and that's okay like there's sometimes i'm not grateful i i feel like there's this false sense of um reality sometimes when we come in here that like i'm great because i'm abstinent life is great <laughs> and for me it's just not the reality that because i'm abstinent i get to experience like a whole rainbow of feelings and just because i'm feeling bad it doesn't mean that like i got to get rid of the feeling now and i think that's again kind of like something I really had to learn was like okay you feel trapped you feel ashamed you feel resentful and um, you can do a fourth step on this and this is also something I shared with them and they said it'll pass like it will pass and you're right it's hard when you have a child and a marriage and a job where everybody needs you all the time so um, it's a lot about being honest, being willing to feel my feelings, do the work around it, do the writing, and knowing that it's going to pass. So, we have a few minutes. Anyone? <laughs> Bueller? Hi. Hi. Yes, my service above meaning level is not a lot. My service is in sponsorship. Um, 
and <laughs> sponsorship and a lot of times it's there are occasions when I, I will take the newcomer's number at a, at a meeting um, and call the newcomer after a meeting or stop the person who was quiet but crying in the corner the entire meeting, making it a point to reach out to them after the meeting and just say what's going on. <laughs> um, also, I feel like uh, my service goes beyond a 12-step program. Like for me to be a loving wife and mother, I need to enter it with the attitude of service. So for me, I've had to expand what I've learned in a 12-step program into my life so that my life can work. So I have to be of service to my son. I need to be of service to my family. I need to be of service at work. When I'm feeling pissed off at work, when my ego gets hurt at work, which it does a lot, I have to check myself and go back to like, you're one of many, you're here to be of service. So the, the idea of being of service for me um, outside, of the, uh, outside of being a meeting directly related to 12-step program is about sponsorship and calling the newcomer. And then I've had to find other ways of being of service in my, in my life to, to kind of keep that mentality. We have like one minute. No one else. Okay. Yeah. Um, Great question. Okay, as a mother, do I keep all foods in my house? Yes. I, I, I can eat one cookie today. I don't know how and I don't know why, but like there are days when I eat one cookie and I'm done. Or I eat three tiny pieces of chocolate when I want something sweet and I'm done. And I don't, again, it's not me. It's, it, it, I think it goes back to, again, the idea that, like, I don't want to harm myself. So the answer is yes. <laughs> um, okay, so it's 9.35. Um, now is the time for second stuff. Oh.